0: hey this is robin that's Makaya, and you are listening to the very first of our bonus episodes in between season one and two of you forgot one today on you forgot one the genre of music that makai and i maybe have the most personal relationship to emo Makaya, from one former emo kid to another, tell us about emo.
1: You know, it's hard because I think you and I both agreed that emo is pretty much the worst descriptor uh, for any style of music. Uh, and for some, for some reason, emo can be attached to a band like Dashboard Confessional, which is largely acoustic, but also Thursday, which is very much post-hardcore. And so, how how dashboard and Thursday are both emo? I don't even know the answer to that. It's it's very confusing to figure out what emo even is. Um, the best people do is to say, "Well, it's emotional," um, but I don't know what isn't emo. I mean, hardcore hip hop is is pretty emotional. Um, heavy metals. Clearly emotional. Joni Mitchell's very emotional. So, I, what, you know, what sets emo apart? I don't really know.
0: Yeah. So, i I've been playing, trying to come up with with a some sort of way of defining it, and it it is a it is a label somewhat stupidly applied, um, across a pretty wide ranging, diverse style of music. Like you said, you know, because we do. We don't just have part of that like, you know, late second wave, early third wave group where you have the post-hardcore bands like Thursday and, you know, a, a, a band that's really very acoustic, like a dashboard confessional. But then even if you go back to kind of that first wave that really comes out of the uh, that that hardcore post-hardcore movement in the D.C. scene with Rights of Spring and Embrace into the beginning of that second wave where you see a Sunny Day Real Estate, uh, a cap and Jazz, where, where you have these bands that uh, they don't sound anything like one another, and yet right. they all fit underneath the same label. And so I've, I've been kind of trying to come up with what makes the most sense if we're trying to loosely define this genre. And so I do think that the commonality we see is that it is music that generally comes from a scene, meaning that it is music that is born out of live performance, which generally means that it's a music that comes out of a hyper localized scene of, of bands playing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is punk adjacent. So, not necessarily punk music but if if there is a shared influence on emo bands i think punk would be the shared influence
1: yeah it's like it it, it comes from punk music but you're not going to find emo bands are they're not going to be people who have mohawks and they're not going to be it, you're you're more likely to find like thick rimmed glasses at an emo show mm-hmm. than you are like a mohawk but yet it comes from punk but more of like the like the i guess the the Paul Westerberg maybe mm-hmm. kind of style of punk not like something like suicidal tendencies or something
0: yeah yeah i think that's fair and so i you know so however you define however you look at that kind of punk adjacent in one form or the other and then lyrical content that is um um not just emotional but uh, like you said, most music is emotional. Most music is emotional. I think what separates emo, I- at least in terms of lyrical content, is a lyrical ton- content that is hyper-focused on the feelings of the, the feelings created by some form of woundedness. So whether that woundedness is from a romantic relationship, whether it's because of you know, some wrong that was done. Um, It it is, it is lyrical content that comes from seemingly a wounded place and that might be an oversimplification, but trying to find if there's some, if there is some commonality that we see a a lot like how, you know, all great comedy is comedy that punches up that, you know, so essentially comes from a, a place of uh, being the underdog uh, if if there's a commonality of the lyrical content of emo music it is always punching up it is always it is always written from the perspective of an underdog from uh, of some kind or another
1: I think for the most part that's true of course that I mean, of course that can't be categorical because I mean there's just with the way but, that the music can, sure. I think I think that I think that's mostly true
0: yeah, yeah. so so kind of kind of going so so again none of those things kind of form a a perfect understanding, but at least trying to go, okay, if the label in and of itself doesn't really make sense, what were, what would be some other barriers that we'd build around this thing that we're going to call emo? And, mm-hmm. and even with those barriers, there are still going to be acts as we're going to talk about in our interview later on, where some of these acts fall into the category that we'll go, Oh yeah, that's an emo band. And some of the bands that, that seem to meet all of that criteria and we still don't think of them as emo. And then there's disagreement even among emo fans who, you know, who, what classifies as emo or not. And so I think we're all we're all constantly searching for some kind of final arbiter of who can make the decision of what whether or not this is emo. And so we have um, defaulted to a certain extent to Tom Mullen, and Tom is the writer of. Uh, two anthologies of Emo, and the Anthology of Emo, Volume One and Volume Two. He also uh, runs the uh, podcast Washed Up Emo, as well as running the website isthisbandemo.com. And so when we struggled to figure out whether or not we figured out a band was emo or not, we were letting Tom serve as, serve as kind of the final arbiter of all right, is this band emo or not? According to Tom, sure. Now, there are, there are bands that we're still going to disagree with him on that. But for the sake of this podcast, we're letting that be a, a deciding factor for us. So for me, as I think about this genre, McGuire, what you and I share in common is that I spent my college years at the University of Central Florida, living in Orlando, during the same period of time that you were a middle school student in, mm-hmm. in Orlando. And one of my friends from college who I saw a ton of emo concerts with is my friend Amanda Allwood, who has spent the last 20 years working in the music industry. And so I thought, what better person to talk about emo music with than my friend, than a fellow former emo kid, that someone that still loves this music and someone that has a relationship to the music industry that you and I don't have. We're going to take a break. We're going to let our listeners hear from today's sponsor. And we're going to be back to a conversation with my friend, Amanda Allwood, all about emo Music here, Amanda Ann Allwood. Will you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Introduce yourself for us. Tell us who you are and what you do and share with us a little bit about your history with emo music.
2: Uh, Yeah, sure. So yeah, I'm Amanda. Uh, Rob and I went to college together. So we probably have a million stories we've both forgotten about going to emo shows together. But um, now I am a promotions director for a radio station group in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and, and what else about me? I guess, you know, I, I got into emo music in like the summer of 99, which is probably a little late. It was, it was the year I graduated high school. Um, and I think up until then I was listening to like pop country. Like I was just like, whatever everyone else was listening to, I was completely invisible. Um, and, and so a friend of mine, um, Dylan Grace, who we we went to college with, uh, gave me a burned copy of a burned copy of a burned copy of Clarity um, by Jimmy Eat World and and a few other CDs like MXPX and Newfound Glory and stuff like that. You know, all kind of adjacent and um, yeah, I don't know. It just kind of like changed my life. Um, with, there's a funny story about that we can talk about later, but um, yeah. So that's that's kind of been my personality ever since, I guess, in a lot of ways. <laughs> But right. like, I think when you discover something in a time like in your 20s, like so like clarity for me, I once told Jim Adkins to his face with cr- fucking crazy eyes that clarity <laughs> changed my life like and he looked at me like he was terrified. And he should have met, like, but I meant it. Like I really deeply meant it because it did. Because like, if I hadn't gotten clarity, I'm convinced that like, I wouldn't have wanted to work at drive through records and they didn't take my phone calls. So I ended up at a radio station and then that has like been my whole career trajectory and taken me to every, you know, I've moved because of it. I've, you know, everything. So it's like, I think that it's interesting because the age might be a huge part of that because like, these are just, these don't, these don't seem that like these albums don't seem that old to me.
0: So one of the things that we were talking about before we started recording is the reality that because you have worked, your career has been in radio. Um, and you know, your husband has also worked in the music industry. You have basically spent your entire adult life around music and because of that, you've had incredible access to shows. You've had incredible access to uh, the bands that you wanted to see. What yeah. is it about? What is it about emo music that has kind of stuck for you? What What is it about this genre that kind of found a place in your head and in your heart?
2: Um, that's such a good question. I think. I think for me, it just hit at such an interesting time in my life. Like I was always like a total late bloomer, right? I mean, like I will go back to like when I was in my 20s, you know, how there's always that bar, like everyone goes back to like Thanksgiving Eve, you know, from high school. Everyone has that. I would go with my friends and people I sat next to in high school would introduce themselves to me. Like that's how completely invisible I was in high school. Um, and then when I found this, this like genre of music and I'd probably like the whole scene, which is what we'd call it now. I just, I kind of like found my voice um, in a way. And I think it's probably just happened at the same time. I don't know what begat one or whatever, but I mean, like I went to my first two years of school, I did at Florida state and I was a total outcast because I was like going to Gainesville and Orlando for concerts all the time because nothing came to Tallahassee, Florida. And um, I dyed my hair pink and like, I didn't rush a sorority and like that just like, so every, I think for me, my formative years were much later um, than a lot of people. And my so my formative years were just me like embracing emo music and the lifestyle. And I was really lucky to be able to, you know, have be able to go to any concert I wanted. Like, I, I don't think there's ever been something where I was like, oh, I don't get to go to that if I really wanted to. I like was able to make it happen, which is kind of weird and unique. Um, so I've seen everything. I mean, I've seen Bruce Springsteen. I've seen Elton John, you know, like I've seen Katy Perry and Taylor Swift and stuff like that. But my favorite shows are just always going to be emo shows.
0: As Makai and I have been talking for the weeks leading up to recording this episode, one of the struggles that we have had is how do you define emo or, or what, what is it that is defining to the genre because it almost seems to be completely disconnected from the style of music. I mean, it all, it all seems to be kind of punk adjacent, mm-hmm. but the, the, the breadth of music that gets classified as is emo is is incredibly wide i mean just incredibly diverse kind of forms of music that get classified as emo and yet if there seems to be a a kind of common thread among what gets defined as emo and what doesn't it does seem to be that at least in part EMA music is music that comes out of a scene and, and, you know, it's hard and we'll talk later about this, like how, how you define scene because later on scene is going to be something you can buy for nine 99 at hop top, hot topic. Right. Like, but, but the idea of like a hyper localized scene that, that there are bands that are coming out of an area that are coming out of a region that, that get popular, that get supported, this kind of very DIY, approach to bands and putting on shows. And, and, and we certainly saw a lot of that. But thinking about that kind of importance of the relationship to the fans, the importance of the relationship to a unique and, and local music scene, all three of us have this in common, is that we all experienced the kind of central Florida mm-hmm. emo scene in the early 2000s. And for you, that that wasn't just formative, formative in terms of your personality, but that was formative for so much of that genre of music. So can you talk to us a little bit about kind of the, the role you see of that like hyper localized scene and, and then maybe connect that for us to some of your experiences going to shows in, in Central Florida and some of the bands, I mean, as we think about, Bands that you and I saw together, bands that that we knew of, that kind of came out of that region, and some of them went on to huge success, and some of them, despite how great those bands were, never seemed to kind of break through beyond that that very hyper localized scene.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I think. Oh gosh, I I don't. Just to speak to like what is emo? Like, I don't know the answer to that. Like. I, I have a friend in New York who he runs washed com and he runs the is this com website. So you can put any band in there pretty much and he has an answer for you. And he would like, if Tom was here, he would be like, I have your answer. Here it is. But I don't know if I t- would totally agree with his answer because I think there's probably some bands that I'd be like, no, that's totally emo. And he'd be like, absolutely not, because he's a total purist. Um So, so I don't, I mean, it, it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, I think this, the scene in central Florida, when we were in school in, in college, which is like the time period, you know, I really got into it. Um, it was, it really was all just like a big old chunk of like pop punk and kind of indie and like kind of emo. And it was so many different things. And I don't think we were defining it at the time. So I just remember my roommate who you remember, Chrissy, like she was just like, I don't know, like you just love all that emo shit. And she meant everything. Like she meant Blink-182. Like that was just, it was what she meant. And like, you know, when we talk about Central Florida, like is Anne Berlin an emo band? I don't know. But at the time I would have put them in that category because they were playing with Copeland and they were playing with my hotel year or whatever and they were they came out of that same same world um but i wouldn't put like newfound glory in that and they were south florida obviously but they were just a total pop punk band right but they still like played with all those they all played together so it's so hard to draw that line i think and i don't know from a music standpoint if i could ever define the difference it's like you know what when you hear it
3: You'll never know how you sing while you're asleep And I'm listening I'm listening You'll never know how you say the things you say
0: The point you're making amanda like part of at least in the central florida scene and i think this is also evidenced by the fact that oh what was the christian music festival that they moved to or- cornerstone. cornerstone and they did cornerstone orlando which was essentially yep. was just a, a, a i mean we saw copeland play at cornerstone we mm-hmm. saw uh under oath we saw amber like all of those yeah. bands all played oh, cornerstone goodness. orlando yep and, and then like charlie day at night yeah
1: Bizarre yeah. festival, yeah,
0: yeah. So it was like, it, I mean, literally the the indoor. So like, it was all outdoors at the Central Florida Fairgrounds, and the one indoor event they had it was Sleeping at Last, oh, my Pedro Pedro wow. the Lion, then Chris cool. Tomlin. Yeah. So so all of that to say, like there, room, there, I
2: spent a lot of time in there,
0: and and again, a lot of this is because of Tooth and Nail Records. Like there is this weird cross section of bands that either met in churches or started playing or were essentially were signed to a, a christian label and and the only thing quote unquote kind of about them that that was christian or allowed them to be on a christian music label was that they didn't cuss in their songs like that was yeah like you you think about like sex yeah, yeah or, but like you would go to like cornerstone orlando and with the exception of like the, the random worship leader who would, you know, do do the final set of the night. Every other band that played there was just, you know, a, a regular emo band or punk band or hardcore band. And they, you know, and so I do wonder to what extent is that unique to that kind of Central Florida scene is all of these kind of quote unquote bands that really kind of, you know, came to emo almost diagonally from from yeah. Christian music. Well, I've thought about this a lot. Uh,
1: because someone who was in youth group and doing the emo thing and seeing all those Christian bands. And it makes sense that they're all like from Florida, all these bands. like, And there's not a lot of other places in the South where there is an emo scene. So it's like Florida being like the only kind of Southern emo scene and make the a land that's, as Flannery O'Connor said, is Christ haunted. It makes sense that these people who go to these evangelical churches, for the most part, it must be, right, where religion is very performative, and is very expressive, right? And then you see, you go to these emo concerts, you see these other emo bands, which is very expressive, right? It's just, it's very easy. It's just kind of like, whoop, going to put these two together, you know, just like religious expression and punk rock, like pretty easy to like tie those two together if you're coming from like an evangelical land, like Florida.
0: Yeah. And I, I also wonder if that, you know, one of the things that I, uh, so I was watching uh, the the documentary bastards of young in, in preparation for this and, and really it, it kind of focused more on like that New Jersey, like basement concert scene and all of the bands, you know, the, the movie life taking back Sunday, Thursday saves the day, like all these groups that all kind of came out of the garden state during that period of time. And you see all these old live footage of these bands that played and they're definitely emo bands and all of the same things are there. Like this, this definite kind of community, the scene, this, this culture that's there um, very DIY, very, all kind of punk adjacent, you know, diverse kind of stylistic, Uh, you know, diverse styles of music that all kind of fall under the same umbrella. But the one thing that I don't see watching those kind of old home videos of those concerts that was absolutely present in Florida, and I think kind of affirms your point, Mike the singing along, there is something that that is almost like, it, it almost feels like a youth group or feels like a worship event in that, in going to those shows in Florida and then you think about the bands you know and I'm thinking uh, definitely around Chris Carraba and around Dashboard and Further Seems Forever suddenly it becomes almost a worship experience where everyone sings along at the top of their lungs and so the cover of MTV Unplugged yeah. the Dashboard
1: I mean like, it's like Carraba <laughs> kind of his eyes closed like if that's not a church music album cover like there are people in the background crying and like, like it, sure it looks like a church album. Like.
4: Breathe in for the dark, breathe in so deep. This air is best. You share with me. This night is wild, so calm and tall. These hearts take place. For self control, your legs are smooth as they grace my.
2: Yeah. So having lived up north um, and Florida and now Georgia, I can tell you that the thing I remember we went to like the first show we went to when we moved back down south to Atlanta was we got like last minute tickets like a week after we moved here. This is not emo, but just my example to see Blink-182, like this big amphitheater show. So it was like, okay, cool. They're like 20 bucks. Like, let's do it. So we went and I remember like thinking and saying to my husband on the way home, I can't believe how mu- how like people get so into shows down here. Like I miss that in New York because everyone's like mm-hmm. New York, New Jersey, wherever you are. Like everyone's a little too cool for the room. You know what I mean? Like it's like a lot of arms crossed and like, you know, yeah, whatever. This is cool. I mean, I you know, I saw most of these my favorite emo bands in New York and that wasn't always the case. But definitely like you're right. People, the sing-alongs and like. People are way more into it. I I guess maybe it is that we all just kind of like grew up in the church, so we don't really care.
0: So this this is not part of our kind of pre pre planned conversations at all. But I kind of love the direction of this. So I, I want to go back to this idea of 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 washed up emo and Tom and this website is is this been emo and and you mentioned that he is a purist and we all know people who are who are emo purists and so the the same people who we'll look at what I think Makai and I have settled on is kind of like third wave emo, that, that kind of like, you know, third or fourth wave depending on how you look at it, but that like 2006 brand new has this, you know, in, incredibly experimental, but phenomenal album, the devil and God are raging inside of me. And it looks like, okay, this is going to be the direction that emo heads in. And then two months later, my chemical romance releases black parade and, and that's it. And like, that's the direction that all of it goes into. And so because of that, all of the bands that kind of follow behind that, like, you know, uh, panic at the disco um, uh, you know, Paramore, to a lesser extent, like all of these bands that kind of follow, follow behind that who kind of get labeled emo, but, no purist would look at that that kind of group of bands and be like, "Oh yeah, they're an emo band."
1: Yeah, my my emo friends. Which, which, but by the way, at the time, I would never just say like me and my emo friends, because <laughs> they the were worst, just like <laughs> the, the, the the most offensive thing that could happen to you as a fan of emo music is for someone to call you emo.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it's 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 a slur. Like, let's let's agree that emo is a stupid label. Like even if well, even if th- we're having a conversation about what we define as emo or not, yeah. Let's agree that it's a dumb label.
1: Well, yeah, because what what's the implication there that it is the only kind of emotional music, or you know what I mean? Like what what genre music isn't emotional? I mean, it's like it comes down to like one rock critic who did like a review, and
0: it's just like that's it from now on. But there is part of part of that idea of a community or a scene is the idea of gatekeeping of, of there being in kind of an in-group and an out-group. And I I wonder as we think about music and and about popular music, because that's really what happened in that like 2005 to 2009 period, it, 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 really did explode in popularity. It went, I mean, mainstream as we would call it, but I mean, it, it really, it changed and it became a thing that every major label was going. All right, we're gonna we're we're picking up emo bands as fast as we could in the same way that it, music labels did for like rap rock bands in the late '90s. Like, it, it I mean se- seemed to have no interest in what the music was like. Just here's what's popular right now. But I do wonder to what extent that kind of gatekeeping, when it comes to music, is helpful. Like, it is it is it helpful to kind of go. Here is what is, is, is pure in here. Here's what's truly this thing in, in, and, and here's these other groups. And they are just cash grabs trying to look like this other thing. Like, is that, is that, is that helpful at all? Or is it just something that the, all the, the, the purists or the people who are in that in-group care about?
1: I mean, I think, I think so, so to an extent, I mean, it's, you, you need to, you need to put like a floor and a ceiling on something. I, I think, I think that's a necessary effort. Amanda, what do you think?
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I I work in terrestrial radio, so it's like I live in a world where we have formats and everything fits into like, I have a classic rock station and it fits into it's rock and roll and it fits into these years. And we actually classify ourselves slightly differently because we play like Rod Stewart. You know what I mean? Like, so, but like, so we're actually a classic hit station, you know? So it's like Mm -hmm. I've lived in that world for so long. And so it, I, I like, I like my music in little boxes, you know, like, because that's how I can process things. Um, but we also come from a generation where you went to a certain part of the CD store, right. To find the CDs that you wanted and you listened to your radio station. Cause that's the kind of, I, I started working at a classic rock or I'm sorry, at an alternative rock radio station in 2006. So like, you want to talk about my chemical romance? Like I can do that, but I didn't <laughs> love it. Um, and I didn't think it was emo. I just thought it was like, alternative music. And I was a little bit offended that we were classifying it that way. Now I don't really care as much because I'm like, well, that's their generation. And I was just kind of being a grumpy old lady at like 25 years old. But, you know, I think, I think it's important to put it in a box for our generation specifically. And, and those, you know, slightly younger than us, but if you're 20 years old, they don't, that generation doesn't want that anymore. So like, it's like gatekeeping is important to us, but I don't think it's going to be important anymore because Spotify, is Spotify, and they put whatever they want on it, and it does not matter what genre or format it fits into.
1: I mean that that that's that's top down. That's that's music coming to you from like the top down, though. But I think that anything that's coming from like the underground or a specific scene, or is is independent of all that, I think that's where it becomes important because I think there's more ownership there. Like the Beatles belong to everybody, right. Everybody knows the Beatles, listens to the Beatles, loves them or or hates them, it has an opinion on them. Not everyone has an opinion on which brand new album belongs on the list of the best ten emo albums, right? But there's a small group of us that do, and when you find that person, you are intimately connected, like like pretty right away, you know, like that. There, those people are out there, and they they have their opinions. Uh, they're not important opinions, but for that group of now, you know, older emo kids, uh, you know, it, it has some sort of significance.
3: I'm
2: Like, yeah, I think in many ways, like we needed it to define ourselves. Um, and I think most 18, 15, whatever you are, year olds when you're coming of age, like needs something to define on yourself. So for uh, for us, I mean, I think this was, this was that. So in that sense, yeah, I think it is important. I, I do think that
0: scene for a lot of us, I know, I know for me, I, it definitely, it, it definitely was, was one of the two or three things in my young adult life that kind of, help me figure out like, Oh, this is, this is where I fit in. And Makai, the point you're making of like, and when you found someone else there, you knew that you connected on more than just, Hey, we both like this band, but like liking that band also spoke volumes about all these other things about yourself. Mm-hmm. And and so it was, it was kind of this easy way to like find your tribe. And, and I think that's really important. And especially, you know, at, at that, you know, incredibly, at that age where it's so hard to find that, or or it was then, uh, you know, because of technology and social media, you know, it seems like a lot of that's getting easier for younger generations. But I I also wonder how male driven the, you know, as I think, as I, you know, going through our, our list, looking at all these emo bands and looking at all these artists we love, all of it was, was guys. I mean, it was rare to have a band with, with even like a single female member, and all of it's, you know, pretty, you know, for the most part, especially that kind of like post-hardcore leaning emo, you know, it's very aggressive, you know, and, and because so much of it is about heartbreaks and breakups and, you know, it, it feels, it feels aggressive and it feels in many ways, aggressive aimed at some girl who did something. And yet every one of those shows that we'd go to, and every time you see one of those concerts, you're looking at an audience that is typically 40, 50, even 60% female. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And so I, I wonder for you, is, is there, do you understand that? Cause that's something you can explain to us. Is, is there something that we're missing because even now, you know, thinking about how kind of emo branched off into so many different seemingly styles of music in, you know, basically kind of 2007, 2008 and on, you end up with all these hardcore bands that don't then lose their female audience so the music becomes more aggressive seems to be i mean nearly violent in the show experience and yet women are still huge fans and still going to these shows how do we explain any of that
2: it's a tough one. I mean, I don't want to speak for all womankind, um but well, don't you understand? We,
0: we brought you as a
2: woman on this podcast. That's your role. You have so to speak for all
0: women everywhere. Well, I got that's it. the nature of yeah. tokenism.
2: Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm oh, I'm aware. I I work, I work <laughs> <in> radio. <laughs> I'm kidding. Cut that out. Um, no. <laughs> So I think it's such an interesting question um, because I've talked to a lot of people about this, right? Because especially listening back, like post Me Too movement, some of these albums are a little hard to take. And when we get into like, I like put up my like, I put together my top 10 and there's one on there that I am really uncomfortable with being on my top 10. But like, here we are. I'm not going to lie to you, you know? So here's the thing. So when you like listen to, let's let's say like a dashboard confessional, right? Like he's pretty mad. Like this girl really broke his heart and he's pissed about it. Um, I never thought of like the dude singing the song. Like, I always put myself in the position of the lead singer. Like, I was mm-hmm. mad that some dude broke my heart. So, so it wasn't like I was ever putting myself in the position of this woman who was being attacked in the narrative of these songs. I was, it was the opposite. You know, it's like I was singing that song because like I get what Chris Caraba is feeling because I have felt that or whatever the case may be. So, and that's how I think most, you know, because listening to the songs with girls i was friends with in college and talking about why we loved them and stuff like that i think that was how we felt you know like i have gone to you know like saves the day reunion show several years back with uh, with a girl who i was friends with in new york and like we weren't singing it like because we felt like chris connelly wanted to kill us or whatever like we felt like him you know like So we, you know, you kind of like channel that. Um, Do I think, though, that it's problematic for the men who were listening and maybe they were taking it a little bit too far and being kind of shitty boyfriends? And yeah, absolutely. I think it took masculinity to this little bit of a dark place. Um, And I think there were like a lot of emo guys who thought they were just like really sensitive, but actually they were just like really mean. Mm. Um, And so I think it gave it gave some men permission to be a jerk um, because it was just being emo. But I don't think that was the majority. You know, I think that for, for most of the case, like girls were singing it because we've, we've found ourselves in that starring role too. One thing I think I noticed listening back is there's a really kind of an absence of pronouns.
1: It's not a lot of like, she did this, right. You know, that kind of stuff, but also looking at this time, if we're going to extend the golden era of emo from like 94 to like 2003, hip hop is king at this time. You know, if if you're not listening to that, you're listening to hip hop where you are going to hear things like bitch this and like bitch that, Mm -hmm. you know? So like that time period in general, just not a good place to listen to, to, to music that is uh free of chauvinism, but it's, well, you know what? Until about Panic at the Disco, I guess whore. I guess
2: that might be right. of w- pointed. But girls were calling each other whores pretty uh, openly. In the oh, United slut. The, I mean, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I am, yeah, yeah. I want to apologize to every girl I ever said that to behind their back. Like, you know, like, because that was just, I don't, I don't know. It was like the reality television was telling us that that was okay. And so therefore it was okay that Panic at the Disco said it.
1: Right, right. I lost my train of thought there, but I think because I, right. I think about emo, because I think about because there, there are a lot of things about emo culture other than the music, because I could spend a long time tracing the, the, the rise and fall of emo by how tight pants got and, yeah. and when and
2: when um, companies started making pants tighter. I would make the argument that it actually went from poor kids who didn't have any money and pictures of them in their like thrift store t-shirts and yeah, girlfriends yeah. jeans, because maybe that was like what they had access to, to my chem and panic and all those guys who were signing million dollar deals right on to be bag. Freddie Mercury. Absolutely. And they were being styled. I mean, they were professionally styled dudes. So like yeah. it's like it's it's like apples and oranges almost, you know, yeah. you can't compare those two things. Yeah, because
0: yeah, that that yeah. would be the thing that is that you don't really see. Like, you think about the emo bands, the emo bands that were popular, or or at least had kind of like growing careers from the late '90s into the 2000s into this period of time we're talking about. And for the most part, their their style doesn't really change that much. Like, and and you can really see that. Like, you can take you can so like there's a handful of scenes. Like, there's your your SoCal scene, mostly Orange County. Mm-hmm. There's You know, the bands coming out of Chicago, there's this weird kind of, you know, mid-America collection of vagrant bands. Um, There's this huge scene in New Jersey. There is this scene coming out of Florida. Like, and and yet you look at all these scenes, for the most part, they all dress pretty consistently the whole way through. You know, and then I think about especially kind of like that as someone who is a big fan of, of Vagrant records and of the bands on that label, like most of that was, you know, flannels and and jeans from the start to the end, you really don't end up with the kind of emo fashion as brought to you by hot topic until you get to these bands that are, they're being professionally styled and because they're being professionally styled they're being professionally styled to make it, you know, around marketing and in what in what can be sold, and so I, I do wonder, like, if if what you're talking about, Makai, if if kind of tracking that through line is really tracking the 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 popularity of emo, because you're yeah. seeing at what point the the popular fashion becomes something very very stylized rather than just like your clothes don't matter all that much.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. What you see there is the profitability of of emo music. You know, you, you're watching like the rise of just like. People who are wearing because before that everyone was wearing really baggy clothes. Uh, because the pop punk and like the skate scene, big baggy clothes, hip hop rem- big baggy clothes. Who remembers
0: Jinkos? Come on oh, now. Y'all,
1: y'all, y'all. So like the 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 emo thing was really kind of a way to just again putting yourself in groups, like, oh, like I made a conscious decision. I remember being like, oh because I remember one person called me out, just like, you look like you're like like into like like rap and like hip hop and stuff you listen like taking back sunday all the time i was like like i was like oh yeah but i because i but i do listen to that so i guess guess i guess i gotta wear like the uniform in in a way you know what i mean it's just like well i guess i do belong to that group so i guess i should dress up like that group you know i I remember in eighth grade when i was like hmm that checks out um (laughs) which is kind of one of the only moments like in like those years of my life where i like remember making a conscious decision to like fit into a group but also it's like when i think about it, it's like i was wearing pants that just like didn't fit me period <laughs> and it turns out that like a girl zero fit better than a, like an adult 32 baggy pants when i weighed like a hundred pounds like maybe i should you know size zero actually fit me much better and i was actually much more comfortable wearing clothes that fit me i didn't want to talk about jeans for that long because i wanted to go back to the the women and how they perceive the music be, and, and then all the pronouns and that kind of stuff being absent. Uh, Cause another big part of emo culture for people, my age during the second third wave, rather third wave uh, was um, internet culture, particularly American instant messaging, like America online instant messenger and the power of a cryptic emo away message. Oh, I, miss- I mean, I mean, Oh man. Oh, the women, the young women who I was uh, so in love with, just really, just cutting you down with, with just a great away message,
2: breaking your heart, right?
1: I mean, we we could do an entire podcast on like best like email away messages. Oh my god! I would, I would, I would honestly love it. <laughs>
2: it's if the you, best. Were... It was the best time on the internet. Um sure. I also had a pretty active live journal. Um.
3: Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. And yeah. It,
2: <laughs> yeah. You remember? <laughs> and you could like have like listening to right now and like list your yourself right. mean, it. Yeah. And it was all part of it. Like if you, if you, my, my husband tells me if you were super emo, you would have had a dead journal, which was like live journal mm. adjacent, but I was, I was like beach emo. So I had a regular live journal. Yeah. And, and yeah, the, the away message, the like listening now, it was like this really archaic beginning of the internet and it was also a way that you could kind of like figure out like, oh, like this is, is that like, that's a lyric. I don't think I know that. And then like, yeah, find it on like LimeWire or something or like, for look sure. it up yeah. um in, you know, some weird AOL search engine to try and figure out what people were listening to. It was, it was like this first time where people were connecting in that like really weird way. Yeah. And for me in
1: my generation, just I'm really 10 years apart, but MySpace space was huge and it was so huge for emo bands in particular who aren't these major labels because now you didn't even need a touring manager you didn't have to put out an ad in like alternative press magazine you could put all your dates on your myspace put your music on there you have the fans putting it as like their myspace song you know what i mean like it was like a really great thing that was probably bastardized really quickly. Probably the moment Panic at the Disco was signed for never even having never played a show, but just on the strength of like how their MySpace like how many people put like their songs like as their MySpace song. Absolutely. All of a sudden they get signed never having
2: played a live show. It's and that was the beginning of the end.
0: So Amanda, I do want to ask you to tell us a little bit more about this because you have a unique window into all of this. As someone who has spent their career thus far working in radio and working in uh, promotions and marketing for radio stations and therefore working very closely with record labels and with um, you know artist management, what's the, what's the hidden underbelly here? What's the, what's the thing that we need to understand about the way that kind of all of this got bastardized?
2: I mean, I was I was so young and new in my career when like really like like panic and my chem were hitting, right? But I was I was working at an alternative radio station. So I mean, I was I, I remember having like like paramore play in our conference room. Um, and taking back Sunday, I actually have those recordings, which I'm like not allowed to share with people because I took them Mm. from the heart from like the shared drive when I left. But, um, I have all these recordings of all of these artists really early on doing these little, like we call them green rooms. Um, and you know, I think, I don't, I don't think there's like some crazy thing you guys don't already know about, right. It's the music industry's brutal though. And it picks these, these bands that they think are, attractive in some way and it, it takes them in it kind of in a lot of ways that the fan, maybe the fans who were fans before they got signed to a major belief like ruins them in a lot of ways. You know, we, we see it when we hear a demo and that we may be really, really loved. And then that version that comes out on the album, after the major label signs them, is like this totally different thing, and it's all like yeah. overprocessed, and it sounds weird. And why is there a drum machine? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. And I think we heard a lot of that in that era, um, and it hasn't gotten better. You know, it was MySpace then; it's YouTube now. Um, it's it's no different. They're still signing people who've never played a live show, who have no idea how to actually do this. Mm-hmm. I think that started. Definitely, with this emo scene and like oh five oh six, you know, in that time period, and it only got worse. But yeah, I mean, I think they they chew them up and, and spit them out in a lot of ways, and it's kind of sad because a lot of these people are so young, and they just like really wanted to play their emo music, and then they got kind of screwed, and then they have to do you know three hundred days a year on the road, right. and they have to wake up and do a freaking oh my god so so here's here's an example of just like how awful it is for these artists so so we were doing green room and i'm not going to tell you the artist but essentially we had like 25 kids who were super excited they were going to come see this person play in the conference room before the show that night and he didn't show up until like three hours after he was supposed to no one knew where he was and he was in pajamas when he got there like and at the time I was like, how disrespectful. And I think over the years I've seen more of how it works. And I'm like, I think he just probably wanted a morning off, you know, like they were just they were killing these these people with, you know, these grueling, grueling schedules. And they were getting sick and like, you know, they were just touting them out to get played on the radio and They still do it to an extent. I don't think it's as bad as it used to be, to be perfectly honest. Um, It was really rough in that time. And these artists were just getting pushed. Like, you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do every, every festival. Like, it's, it sucks. And they're just marketed to the hell. It's, it's crazy. Nothing feels good like you.
0: Should we yeah. get into the music? Let's do that. Makai, you want to give us kind of a a, a, a brief but loose history? Sure, I can do that. Uh, so,
1: Emo, okay. A lot of people have different opinions about this, and I think a lot of that comes down to age. But historically, what people think of as the beginning of Emo is the mid-80s, particularly with a band called Rites of Spring, coming out of the hardcore punk scene, and what would uh, in, in Washington DC, uh, what would be known as like Revolution Summer, and there are a few other bands that come out of. there. Um, but, and then it's kind of weird because there there are other bands and there there's some LPs out there, but not not a lot of music from that time that that, that really lasted very long, um, in the in the consciousness and in the populace, and um, but then there's this there's this second wave in the early to mid '90s. But it's popping up all over the place. Uh, It's sunny day real estate out in Seattle. It's cap and jazz out in the Midwest. You got the Nebraska, Omaha, you know, stuff happening with Saddle Creek. And of course, like the New York and New Jersey scenes. And then, of course, eventually Florida. And then those weirdos in Arizona, Jamie World. Um, And then there's this third wave, which is about where people today would kind of start to say, "Okay, that I know I recognize as emo. Like that's where you get your brand new you're taking back Sunday and this is where the lines get blurred. This is where there is like, okay, where does Bright Eyes fit into this? Where does Death Cab fit into this? Who Who's in, who's out? Um, and especially when it becomes very popular uh, with Fallout Boy and My Chemical Romance and Paramore and Panic! Of Disco all dominating MTV in the same couple of years and really kind of Uh, dictating what uh, people are going to recognize, you know, visually as emo, you know, I think that distinction is maybe important, you know, visually, you know, recognizing this as emo. And it was only kind of recently where a fourth wave kind of happened. that that is more related to the post hardcore, you know, origins. And, and even in the second wave bands, like, like Joyce Manor, who I think are, are fantastic. And, but there's also a weird twist where you see it happening in like indie rap and hip hop too. Like people like Juice World, who I didn't even know existed until my nephew told me about him. But I've seen that a lot of people are just saying like the yeah, like oh, like Juice World, like he like he's like emo. I was like, I don't know, he doesn't look like Chris Caraba to me. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, so there's there's yeah, it, it's morphed and evolved in so many different ways and you know, it, it does come down to, you know, figuring out just like, how, how do you define this thing? And so I'm, I'm curious as to what we've put on our top 10. Cause I'm, there's going to be, I'm sure some conversation about like, does this belong? Does, you know, are you sure about that?
0: Yeah. Although I do want to, you know, you, you mentioned Jimmy Eat World and I think Jimmy Eat World is. I knew, is, I knew not to push that button. Well, no, <laughs> but here's the thing about Jimmy World is Jimmy Eat World is the, is the band that is the, they're the emo darlings that don't fit into any of the other boxes like they're the emo darlings who i mean released one indie label release and then were immediately signed to a major label so like didn't really spend a long time you know know, so static prevails comes out on a major label clarity who you know if if kind of my generation of of emo's is, is any indication Clarity was one of the most kind of referenced albums so we we on our Instagrams kind of put lists together of like asking people for their input like what's the most crucial kind of emo album and Clarity by Meat World was the number one response that I got and we forget that was a major label release like that was that was a major label release by a band who they came out of a scene in kind of like Mesa Phoenix Arizona area um, the same scene, by the way, that would later give birth to uh, to the format, um, which still one of my favorite bands of all time. But but it is it's this kind of strange Arizona scene and they were signed pretty early to uh, a major label and they record most of, you know, Clarity, which is kind of like this kind of seminal uh, emo album is recorded in these huge like Hollywood studios and so it's all of these things that kind of come along with it that don't seem to fit this kind of model that we're looking at for the rest of the genre. Um, and yet it is, it's a, it's a, it's a very important album musically for this style of music. And then of course <laughs> you get bleed American two years later, which seems to be the the emo album that first breaks through to top 10 kind of billboard chart success. I mean, the, the middle went to number four on the billboard top 100, like hot 100 at one time. So you're looking at it and going, all right, do you now still qualify? This is an emo band. Like the style of music hasn't changed all that much, but their popularity has changed. So do do you change how you define them? And in the same way, like death cab, like, if you listen to something about airplanes and photo album, you're looking at a band and you're going, man, this, this, this is an emo out, this is an emo band. And then transatlanticism, it's almost like transatlanticism is such this beautiful Magnus opus that you're almost, you almost feel bad sticking it in the genre emo because it's, it's more expansive than that. It's, it's bigger than that. You don't want to just isolate it to this one genre. And then kind of everything since then, it's hard to go like, well, that's an, that's emo, and I and I think really Bright Eyes is the same way. After like everything after Lifted, is you know it's hard it's hard to listen to I'm Wide Awake It's Morning and go this is an emo album.
3: Does it kiss your eyelids in the morning when you start to raise your head and does he sing to you incessantly? Space between your bed and walls You walk around all day school With his feet inside your shoes Looking down every few steps To pretend he walks with you Oh, does he know that place below your neck Is your favorite to be touched And as he cry through broken sentences Like I love you far too much As he lay awake listening to your breath Worried you smoke too many cigarettes Is he coughing now? Every speck of a thousand more you see. Must
0: hold why don't, why don't we just jump into the list then and then let's talk about them when when they when they come up and since since I've already gone so far <laughs> into mine, I'll go ahead and just share them. Sure. And, and are yours ranked or how, my, how is your I, list
1: going to be presented?
0: I'm going to present my order chronologically in the order that they came out rather than ranked just because uh, just getting it down, just getting it down to these 10 was hard enough already. Sure. And so trying to rank them was just going to be impossible. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Uh, number one, released in 1994, Sunny Day Real Estate's Diary. Number two, released in 1995, Dear You by Jawbreaker. Number three, released in 1997, The Promise Ring, Nothing Feels Good. Number four, this is the first of three albums released in 1999, which for me is one of the two, like, great years of EMA Music, uh, American Football's self-titled album. Number five, The Get Up Kids, Something to Write Home About. Number six, Jimmy Eat World's Clarity. And then we move now to two albums from 2001, The Next Best Year of Emo, Dashboard Confessionals, Places You Have Come to Fear the Most. Number eight, Saves the Day, Stay What You Are. Number nine, released in 2002, Taking Back Sundays, Tell All Your Friends. And number three, number 10, released in 2003, Brand News, Deja Intendu. So yeah. there's 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 my kind of best 10 emo albums. And that's and that's really sticking to sticking sticking exclusively to um, emo bands that would be classified as emo on the Is This Band Emo website.
1: I dig. Um, would, you, would you would you be interested to know on my Instagram story I asked how emo is Jimmy World and I had like the little like meter where they landed? Sure. Yeah. 75%. Okay. 75%. That feels right. I, yeah. I had a couple of people just like, mm, there there and by the way, the song that accompanied um, this poll question uh, was Crush mm. um, from from Clarity, which I think is pretty
4: uh,
1: pretty kind of as hardcore as
0: Jimmy World's going to get. Sure, but if you uh, if, if the question if if you would have had for me this is heaven on there, you would have had a you would have had way more people say their their email.
2: is we've got something to write home about by the get up kids clarity by Jimmy world's there was a bit of a discussion with some friends about bleed American versus clarity and bleed American being a better album technically and I was like you might not be wrong but it's not a better emo album so I'm standing by that choice
1: this is a great point Amanda
2: thank you um the places you have come to fear the most dashboard uh I I put transatlanticism by death cab for cutie on mine uh we can discuss as needed um and I also put interventions and lullabies by the format. Um, hmm. so is this bandy.com says that they are and I looked it up because I needed I needed really? confirmation hmm. on that. Um and I just think it's still like one of the greatest albums. It's it's still almost perfect.
3: I'm nicotine I'm coming clean. I fooled the crowd when I made it sound like I was more than ready Strike up the fan to cry my sleep
2: with where you want to be by taking back sunday so we have different oh. taking back sunday vibes and this was one of the hardest decisions i made on the list i listened to both albums back to back like five times
1: oh that was that's a tough day
2: it was yeah you know <laughs> i felt really i felt really upset afterwards but i came around to it wow um, yeah um Dejantan Tandu by Brand New. I also picked it, even though obviously it was a tough one because Jesse Lacey is the worst um, as far as humans go. So that was that was a tough pick for me. But I went with it because I feel like he told us, you know, what was
1: going on. The writing's Um, on the wall. It's like going back and watching Manhattan with Woody Allen. You're like, why were we surprised?
2: Yeah, we shouldn't be shocked. Like he was telling us what an asshole he was going to end up being. And we were like, we're here for it. Yeah. um i went a little local with beneath medicine tree by copeland's hey i know we talked about this uh juliana theory emotion is dead and my last one i feel an argument coming and i'm gonna say i don't think i can fully defend this but i have to have it um and okay. it's everything in transit by jack's mannequin
1: oh that's because rob was tempted to put something corporate on his and some
0: of his early drafts. Mm-hmm.
2: I'm sure he was. We saw a lot of Andrew McMahon shows together. So yeah. That, that so, and, and here's the thing.
0: I, there, there are going to be people who push back in, in by the way, I think this is a common pushback. There was absolutely a, a SoCal emo scene, but because there's such a longstanding punk and pop punk community in scene that has come out of SoCal that when you think about these bands that end up touring, like the, the first time they get taken out on tour is typically with like a local band who makes it big. And one of the things that I think that hurts something corporate as we think about whether is or not we think punk of the Princess? Well, that, that's don't it. Even,
2: don't even get me started on if you see Jordan.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> oh. a listen. <laughs> they are arguably more pop punk than emo. I think the difference there is that when Andrew leaves something corporate and starts Jack's mannequin, that Jack's mannequin for all intents and purposes is a solo project. Like uh, under a band name has, you know, tor- tours with tours with a band, but it, it is a solo project. And I think that you get to see essentially an entire album or an entire kind of no- number of albums that are that are really released with kind of the ethos of the fan favorite, but never released on a proper album. Something corporate song, Constantine. And if you if you're looking for a picture of what makes something corporate an emo band, it would be the song Constantine. And Jack's Mannequin is essentially an entire album's worth of versions of Constantine. And, and so that's I, I, I support that I, I, I'm with you in going Jack's Mannequin is definitely an, an emo and those in that album in particular is definitely an emo album even if you're even if you're not likely to say something corporate is an emo band
4: I can't imagine all the people that you know and the places that you go when the lights are turned down understand all the things you've seen. But I'm slipping in between you and your big dreams. It's always you, my big Presence just a pleasant interruption to the past. And you don't wanna look much closer, cause you're afraid to find out all this hope you had sent into the sky by now had crashed. And it did, because of me.
2: I don't know it's a t- it is a tough one for me to put on an emo thing but i don't know how else to classify it because if you don't classify it as emo it's just like a pop rock record right a great in- one yeah well, a great one exactly like is it any different than ben Folds? i don't know maybe like mm. you know it's but at the same time is it that much different than the get up kids you know i think it, it falls it's like get up kids if get up kids lived on a beach instead of in kansas this is probably what they would have written
5: mm-hmm.
2: so right, maybe right. that's the difference
1: yeah i always thought of something corporate as like something that would appear edgy to like the homeschooled kids who only listen to like Reliant K. Oh no. And then after they got done listening to Reliant K, like Sadie Hawkins dance, then they listen to punk rock princess.
2: Yep. I feel a little personally offended, but you're not wrong.
1: (laughs) That's just always kind of how my view. And by the time they did Jack's mannequin, I was just like, dark blue is catchy. I accept this. I don't need anything else though.
2: (sighs) You're missing out on so many good things.
1: The, the, the sunbelt emo kind of thing. You know, of like the, I, I I get all of that that I need from Dashboard. You know right. the 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 sunny side of of emo, about it's so funny how like listening to like Thursday and Dashboard back to back like I did today like songs about like car crashes and Paris and names and I am the killer and Chris Caraba's like I hate the winter in Lexington. <laughs> He was <laughs> like, Ugh, "You guys have different problems."
5: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally
1: different things. But that's what happens if you're in South Florida or New New Jersey.
2: I feel like, am I making this up? It was a Thursday or Thrice who played that that tour with like Hot Water Music and the get Up Kids and Dashboard Confessional. It was either Thursday or Thrice, but I'm I think con- it's Thrice. That's it was like- it was Thrice
0: because it was a, it was an all vagrant. It was an all vagrant. It all vagrant. Uh, oh, yeah. House of Blues. Yeah, 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 yeah. three nights. Yeah. Are we ready for my list? Yeah, I want, let's let's hear it.
1: Right, get dragged by you two 40 year olds, apparently.
2: 39.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, We're- so here was my approach. Just because if I'm like really honest and doing a top 10, it's like brand new is going to be three of these. You know what I mean? And wow, like, oh, really? Oh, man. Brand new for like as someone who was like 13 when Dejan Tindu came out and also had your favorite weapon like like having like the pop punk sensibility of like your favorite weapon and then like like just like the emo gold of dejan tindu and then like by the time i was 16 devil and god came out which is like a really good time to get that album as well like when you're 16 you're just like oh yeah i've seen some more stuff than jude law and the semester of broad can give me i need the devil <laughs> and god you know like that that like trio it's just like yeah that's kind of like the arc of of emo for me too of like a pretty good arc of like how it went from like a punk thing to a very emo thing to just like another place um i don't know it was yeah so so that's why you know clearly one per artist but i went a step further and only did one album per year wow and i wanted to capture this golden moment because i i have friends who are even just like a couple years younger than me who will say things like you know, such and such band like is emo. And it's just like, I cannot explain to you in all the ways you are wrong. Um, Emo was already dead um, by the time that this was a thing in which you were referring to. So I, mine only go from 1994 to 2003 and one album per year. Uh, So I'm really trying to capture kind of like a, a history of emo right here, but I'm going to start with diary, 1994, sunny day of real estate which is interesting because if you look at like Right to Spring and then like Sunday Day Real Estate, two completely different sounds. We're mm-hmm. both we're, we're calling them both emo, but I think it's important that Sunday Day Real Estate's coming from, um, like the Seattle scene. Like, so there is a grungier approach to it. Second pick from 1995 is Schmappin' Schmaz by Cap'n Jazz, uh, which is kind of like the fan name for it. The other one is very long and not worth saying. And I think this is kind of like the first emo album. that's something that if I heard this um, when I was 12 or 13, or whatever, I'd be like, yeah, that's, that's, I recognize this sound as being emo. I think the first of that would be that Captain Jazz album, their one and only studio album from 1995. And then of course those guys would split into other important emo albums. Uh, number three, uh, Do You Know Who You Are by Texas Is The Reason from 1996. Pretty seminal, very agreeable pick. Uh, Nothing Feels Good, 1997 by The Promise Ring from one of the guys from and Jazz. Um, Frame and Canvas by Braid, 1998 album, um, which it's very fun to listen to now because you can hear like oh bands like that i love now like japan Droids who we would never call emo they have to because they're really you know they get great scores from the critics so we call them indie rock it's like they're just doing braid like they're they're just doing frame and canvas you know and i love that uh so so there it is 1999 of all the great albums that come out that year i went with american football hmm. self-titled album the other bit of captain jazz that went promise ring and now american football and american football is kind of like the one when i was younger too that was just like i found out what emo was through like the bands that i was listening to at the time Uh, and just kind of like googling like where's this coming from like american football was like always the name that i saw it's like now this is this is the origin here this is where this is all coming from So for my the year two thousand, there are really kind of two picks I could do here. I could do Fever and Mirrors by Bright Eyes, but I just think the Saddle Creek scene is just a league of their own. Like I also don't like have like the Ugly Organ by Cursive on here. I they're just kind of a thing in my mind, and so I, I went with the Swiss Army Romance by Dashboard. You know, and you're just looking at the albums that this sit, that this sits between. It's just like it's it's so unlike either of them because before it's American football and the next one I'm going to have is full collapse by Thursday. How are all three of these, how do they all three qualify as email? I don't know, but they are three canonically like quintessential email albums.
5: Yeah.
1: Um, And I think Swiss Army Romance is great. And I, I always felt kind of weird, like I should have places, but I've listened to it a couple of times again recently. I'm like, no, I kind of really like my pick with, with Swiss Army Romance. And I, yeah, it's it's so weird that just like a straightforward acoustic album can be emo, when it's coming from post hardcore and there's nothing hardcore about this album or any of these songs, um, but it but it, it is undeniably emo. Very strange. As much as he hates the winner in Lexington, right? That it still qualifies. Um, plus, you know, I'm from Florida, so I got to represent. You know,
5: mm-hmm.
1: um, and also I think it, for, it's on drive through. And I think it kind of foreshadows the, the you know, the commercial side of emo that's going to come. And it really is kind of the, the beginning of the third wave on my list, at least, and probably in popular consciousness a bit too. So like I said, number eight is Thursday's full collapse because you got to get a Screamo album in there. And the emo prince of New Brunswick, New Jersey, Jeff Rickley is the guy to get you there. I mean, I think I, I'm, I'm embarrassed by how well that album holds up for me. I'm like, this shit hits hard and good um was very it was there for me in my first ever breakup too um so just it was just really good to to, to get me there
3: splinter piece of glass for-
1: Uh, nine, tell all your friends, taking back Sunday, because unlike where you want to be, you get Almazar and John Nolan, right? John Nolan was like my emo guy, like more than like Chris Carbell. I was like, John Nolan's a cool guy. He's not doing like the long hair thing. He's got glasses, kind of short hair, just looks like a normal guy. I can like see myself doing that. And I, and I loved Straylight Light Run. Too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I loved um, the first album and I loved the EP that they did. I saw them at the social when that EP came out and it was bananas, right? Even their third album, like the first 45 I ever bought, um, was just a three song EP from Straylight Run. So, you know, like, John, whatever, Taking Back Sunday. Also, just like what, one definitive thing that I would have thought of as emo is having two vocalists. That was, like, really important to me as, like, a signifying. Like, it's like, oh, if it has two singers, it could be an emo thing. Like, one guy singing, one guy screaming, that's pretty emo. You know? And so, like, that was, like, taking back Sunday, Thursday for me. I was like, I, I feel can, like
2: that really shows your age. Yeah. No, for sure. That was, was like, fun. a later thing that kind of came in. And I was yeah. like, I don't know about that. All right. Yeah. But,
1: but for what it's worth, only the last four of mine are, are third wave. The rest are second wave. Fair mm-hmm. enough so that's the majority i'm just yeah. saying and I that's know. only 2002 you know so and so 2003 Dejan tindu brand new i mean like it i mean it's it's unanimous among us three that this is this is one to look at
0: and, and and i it is one of those things that i do kind of hate though like i'm i'm conflicted about well, it's embarrassing. It's, yeah. it's emo. It's
1: it's hard to just be like, um, the quiet things no one ever knows changed my life. It's like, well, that's not something to be proud of. Um, but it is very okay. true.
2: <laughs> it, it's it, and I mean I think we could probably talk about this album forever. But like, yeah, I mean, Would love it, to, yeah, yeah <laughs> I can tell. On like a re listen. Which I do a lot because I still really love it. I think that musically it's incredible. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I I think we all like we all fully support this choice. And but it's 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 mean, like it's not okay. I mean, some of the lyrics are so not okay. Mm -hmm. But I I mean, that was, I guess, just part of the time. I don't know if we just like can can brush it off and just say like, well, in 2003, that was just kind of what we were doing. I, I don't know
0: sure i mean i think you could have mean songs though it, well it's it's interesting in the way that it's mean because I maybe mean, yeah, because because arguably tell all your friends is a mean album but oh yeah or or it is an angry album it is it is a wounded album yeah um
1: yeah adam Azar was 20 when they made that album
0: yeah
2: what happened to him who, <laughs> he came from
1: North who, who Carolina did that to you Adam <laughs> and was like I'm pissed
2: <laughs> um, uh,
0: oh, you assholes told me it was a great time up here <laughs> <laughs> um, but the difference is is that uh, taking back some, uh, so tell your, tell your friends is an angry album uh, about someone who has been wounded right? emotionally and so there, there is an aggression to it that is that is kind of like a the, the in your face, like yeah, you did this to me. Deja and Tindu really seems to be revenge oriented in a way that Tell All Your Friends is not.
1: And I, I don't, know the, I don't, I don't know about that. I think, I, I think there's more revenge on Tell All Your Friends.
2: I think, I think oh man i i guess i think tell all your friends is like it's very specific like he is Mm -hmm. mad at this one person and Mm -hmm. she's gonna hear about it for like however many songs that is with the brit with the brand new i feel like just yeah i feel like he was like he got hurt something happened i don't know what i've i haven't read up on it but something happened to him and like he just was gonna take it out on every female he encountered and that's what this record is about like that's how it feels it feels revenge towards like all the ladies it's it's promising young woman the movie in reverse Uh, i don't know is that a terrible analogy maybe but like it feels like he's going to he just wants to hurt people um and i don't know that's like it feels a little gross knowing who he became or who he always was that came out i guess and that's what's tough for me
0: So I, I do want to mention one thing, because you, you've already brought up, you've seven already brought up, Seth. no, you've already brought up Seth, Amanda, and you've already brought up the OC. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I do, brother. I do think the other part that led to kind of the death of, you know, what, what we'll call the golden era of emo, wasn't even so much the death of emo, but more bands that maybe were once qualified as emo, got kind of welcomed into this larger expanse which is indie music and, and having the conversation about major, major versus indie label. And, and I think that's even something that you see, you know, so much is made of, you know, coinciding with transatlanticism, the release of transatlanticism, uh, death cab being kind of the favorite band of, of, <laughs> of Southamie and what that looks like. And, uh, then you know on the is it at the end of the first season or the end of the second season they play on the show? Oh um, no,
1: okay, yeah, they they use the music in the first season in a very big way, and then they come on on in the second season. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: But I, I think that that's probably the beginning of bands that were once labeled emo being thought of less as emo and being thought of as indie and in that yeah. style of music because you know that 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 kind of wide expanse of music that was so hard to kind of keep labeled underneath the emo label it was much easier just to think of it as indie because it was all independent record labels and, and so i i think that, that.
2: It wasn't. That's the crazy part. It's so much of that indie music was put out on majors. I, I, I know. Right. It was all it was just it was all marketing. Yeah, your
1: your, your <laughs> beloved Jimmy World, right? Where, you know, the, the, success the of Lead American was not the success of an independent label. Yeah.
2: You know, the no, success I mean, so, of. So it was know. just it's a it's a genre, you know. Like it, it. I don't think it had much at that point to do with an indie label. It started that way for sure, but yeah.
1: No, but I think you're onto something, Rob, because I think by the time that now everyone kind of knows what emo is or at least knows to call the kid with like dark hair and i you know eyeliner on to call him an emo kid or something now now that everyone can kind of put a name on this it became very easy um for it to like for potentially like for other bands to be like okay so like death cab is not my chemical romance they are not emo You know, it became much easier to play that game. Like, they do – Ben Gibber does not look like Gerard Way. Not emo, baby. Like, uh, John Nolan does not look like – you know, that becomes more complicated. Well, well, he's doing Straylight Run at the time. So, it's like, okay, well, John Nolan doesn't look like Gerard Way. Straylight Run, indie. You know what I mean? Like, you're you're an indie rock band or something. Um, Still very emo.
0: And I think that's where, like, Copeland gets stuck is that, like – once you get once you get past that that second Copeland album, they they really end up as as an indie band more than as uh, an emo band.
1: Well, they become a band that doesn't even like barely uses guitars anymore. Also, I mean, so much of it's like orchest you know orchestra stuff. Like Eat Sleep Repeat is like all kinds of wild. Um, it's amazing compositions on that album. It's really fantastic. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think it becomes easier there with, with that divide. Um, and it becomes an easier thing to be like, okay, so you're either, there's emo, which we're kind of called these few bands, and you can either graduate to indie at this point or you can go full-blown pop. What's it going to be? Are you going to be like all-time low and go full-blown pop? Mm-hmm. And which I know people who are just a couple years younger than me, it's like, oh, dear Marie, it's like an emo anthem. It's just like, that shit is like all, like, that. that's just like, what's my age again or something like that's not, <laughs> that's not like emo. Adam's right. song is maybe emo, though. We can we can talk about Blink.
2: Really? Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. You can have, like, bands that fit in the scene who did emo songs, but weren't necessarily emo bands. Right. Um, I mean... I I'm, think you're right. I think a lot of the emo bands became indie bands, and that's when emo kids became hipsters, because that's what people started calling me. Like, I stopped being called an emo kid at one point, right. probably around the time you're talking about, and everyone started calling me a hipster. And I was like, well, I haven't changed, like... Right.
1: You know, then, uh, at least for people my age, then it very quickly also became the thing by two thousand and eight when it was like the first bear bon Vampire Weekend and Flea Fox's album come out it's just like, and eh, that's the new thing, baby. I'm eighteen okay. years old, these three these three albums just came out, this is my adulthood.
2: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: You know, that, that that's a that's like a graduation point for me. And I know a lot of people who didn't. You know, I know people are just like, no, I'm still listening to those few albums and those few bands and That's cool. I don't blame you, they're they're great. (laughs) Um yeah, that's
0: So, so here's, here's maybe the, the best way to end it. This is EMA music for whatever it is and isn't in, in for, in, and, and in whatever ways the labeling of that is helpful or not helpful. It is something that is very personal to all three of us. So I'm not going to ask you greatest or best. I'm, I'm not looking for anything remotely objective here. Here's the question. When you are in your feels when 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 you are in it when you are feeling the emotion when you're feeling emotion as it connects to especially to relationships and uh, you know two of us are married and one of us is engaged like it, it's less frequent as you get older but as, as you think about those times when you're younger you know bef- before things were more consistent and your life was more stabilized if you're gonna get in the car and drive, if you're gonna if if you're gonna listen to something to just go, all right, I I, I I need the therapy. I need the therapeutic nature that comes with this music. What is the album that you're putting on as you're as you're dealing with whatever it is? What's what's the album that is therapy for you? As we think about emo music,
1: oh gosh, all right. I'll start because I did this recently. Um, first of all, I just want to say that I don't really listen to emo albums very much anymore. I I, like, I don't revisit dashboard. Like this is the first time I've listened to Swiss army romance. I'm going to guess since 2007 or eight, like it's been a long time since I revisited that I'll I'll revisit a couple. This is even the first time I listened to date. I mean, I haven't really listened to brand new since the odd stuff came out. You know, it's just kind of, you know, um, so, yeah, it's, it's not really stuff that I, I revisit very much anymore. And if I'm going to be in my emotions, I'm, I'm probably going to turn to my, my girl, Joni Mitchell, before anybody else. But recently, I, I don't know what happened. I, I think I realized how old I was and started bugging out a little bit. And I was like, I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to put on a couple of songs or albums and just not come home until I'm ready to come home. Like it, it, I, like my fiance did not come with me. I'm just like, it's me time. And I drove around Lexington for like an hour or something. And I went to, I think the first, I think there were two albums I listened to like start to finish. And this is not an emo. This is nothing I prepared to say. The first I went to was the self-titled Blink-182 album from 2003, where they kind of go for the emo thing. You do, you know, like the song I miss you, the song called down, uh, I'm lost without you. They really go for the emo thing. They take taking it back Sunday on tour with them, but also Cypress Hill because they're still blink One Eighty Two, Um, you know, so, and that was the one I went to, but that, that album also, when I turned 13, I was just like, okay, this is a way to be like, this is, but there are, there are a couple of music videos and songs from that time where I'm just like, yeah, that I need, I need this right now when I'm 13. Um, and I, I just, like, really needed the self-titled Blink-182 album. I needed Feeling This to kick in. I needed Obvious to come next. Needed it.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, being that in that state, the next emo album I went for was your favorite weapon. I was just, like, I, I was very clearly digressing um, <laughs> in my emotional state. Because I was, like, I need shower scene. All right. I need mixtape. Right. I, I like, which is great. And just, I mean, at the time, just the best song to put on a mix CD, right? First song for your mixtape. Short, just like your temper. Oh, we're here. We did it. Uh, but then, and then you just, you just need 70 times seven because you need just like all that comes with that, and then you're like, mm, I'm gonna have to put a pin in this, and come, and then listen to "There's No I and Team." After that, from tell All your friends and get the whole picture, and then it ends on "Saco Amaretto Lime," and you're just like, you know, I'm gonna stay 18 forever, you know, so we can stay this forever. It's just like, and that, I again, like I said, like don't revisit emo albums a lot, so I don't know the last time I heard that, and I'm 30 now. And I was just like, I was, it was 2003, 2004 again. And I was just like, remember playing it on an acoustic with my friends, singing it at our middle school or like at parks. And just like, 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 I was like, Oh, like, this is not a, this, this, emo, this like emotion is not something I even associated with emo music, which was nostalgia on like its most purest level. I don't, I don't know that it was cathartic, I don't know that I was sad. Like it was just nostalgia. It is like purest form. I thought about friendship and the people from that I grew up with that hit me really, really hard. And one song, and I'll end here. I promise one song that also has done that for me while doing this research was the song Swiss army romance where I was like listening to the song was like, Whoa, this is a song where I can feel it on my fingertips you know what I mean? Like there, there are songs just like, Oh, that reminds me of a place or a smell or something. It's like, I can, it's the only song where I, I would describe as like, I can feel the songs with some romance on my fingertips. Didn't realize until listening back now, just like how like ingrained some of these songs are for me. So that's the longest answer to the shortest question. Um, but that's, that's the, that's the most honest I could be about it too.
2: Um, <laughs> so for me, I, yeah, I think for me, it's, it's interventions and lullabies by the format. Um, mm-hmm. and it's funny because I don't know that this would have always been my answer necessarily. I think most of the time my answer would probably be anything by dashboard confessional, probably the live record, because it's like everyone else is singing so loud. You can sing so loud and scream and it's great. And it's everything all to push together. It's all the best songs, right? The greatest hits, but, um, I don't know. I think the thing that holds it just holds up. Like I think "Interventions" "Laws by" still sounds like a great record. It's not, it, you know, it it lyrically it's really good. And um for me, like the, it came out in two thousand three, but it's really weird because I didn't. I loved it then, but I really really got into it in the summer of two thousand five, which was like this really weird time for me. I had left Orlando um and a pretty okay job which i just quit because i was you know 24 and i someone's going to hire me i'm brilliant right um and moved in with my parents um it, it then found out that they were separating and going through a divorce um so it was like really hard um so i lived in like the living room space of my parents home while that was all going on and like basically just reconnected with all of my high school friends um And that was my whole summer. Like I, I kind of worked, but mostly I just like hung out on the beach. And like, it was like the last time I remember I listened to that album nonstop with my friend, Aaron. Um, It was the last summer. I remember just like not having any responsibility. Like I just kind of just stopped growing up for like three months. And Mm. so it's, it's so like, there's just so many songs on that, that I can like physically remember. Like I remember like listening to career day and I, I, had one of those like i got offered a job and i didn't take it like i told them no the night before i was supposed to start because i decided in that moment like i wanted to go back to radio um and like it was like a moment where i i like changed course and then i remember listening to career day and being like yes i know how this feels this is absolutely how i feel like i remember listening to on your porch while sitting around a fire pit smoking cloves. like exactly what the you know so many things and like I was I, I just I went through a really a tough heartbreak in that time and um, so to me I don't know it just still feels like that last little bit of like my childhood and it just it's that's that's absolutely what that album reminds me of so like when things are weird and hard and adulty and you're like buying a house and everything seems difficult it's like well you know I still have the format and I can remember what it was like to be a kid I don't it, it's just that's how that one feels for me
3: I was on your porch The smoke sank into my skin So I came inside to be with you And we talked all night About everything you could imagine Cause come the moon Heart to close I turn to you and I'll let you know that I love you
5: the
0: the point you made there at the end I could not relate to more and I think that's why so you're talking about has it hasn't this these aren't albums makai that you've been listening to a lot lately like for me, I don't know that I've ever like. There's new music that I've fallen in love with, but I've I've never outgrown some of these albums. Like, and and I think Amanda, to your point, it's it's the reason is because as as you get older, like like I I'm a 40 year old who's been married for 15 years and has three kids and you know is trying to figure out things like, all right, we just moved. How do I buy a house before I start working my doctorate? Like, like all, all of these, like all, all of these decisions where you're trying to figure out like these really huge things and in what you miss is the, the simplicity for lack of a better term of, of young life when everything's possible. And also it's the thing too of like, what, what seemed so intense when you were younger, like you do, as as you age, you begin to see all of it through some like rose colored glasses. So like you do have this kind of maybe over sentimentalized view of that period of time in your life. But for me, that's the thing that I think about. Like I think about being young and having groups of friends to like go see concerts with. And like that idea of like, I don't know that I could squeeze two pennies together, but like, we will figure out a way to buy a concert ticket to go see this band and you know, like we'll, we'll, we'll make a night of it. Um, you know, th- there's something, there's something about that, that, that you miss. And so even though it was an album that came out um, my senior year of high school, like something to write home about is, is still like, cause I feel like something right at home about was the album that like came with me into college and like stayed consistent through college. And even now, like I listen to something right at home about maybe once a month my whole adult life. Like I it's just one of my all-time favorite albums. Um, and so for me, like there's just something so familiar and at home in in my soul with that with that album that like I can listen to it and be like, yeah, it's gonna be okay. Like, you know what? Ten minutes to downtown is two minutes, is ten minutes too far but i'm going to be fine like like you know don't don't worry i'll catch you like you're still all that matters to me like all right we're going to get through this we're going to make it work um like so so for me like something right home about um it is it is my it is my all-time favorite emo album and one of my top 10 favorite albums sure. of all time and it just it does something in my heart that that other albums don't. Well, Micaiah... I want to thank my friend, Amanda Allwood, for being with us. Um, I think if there's anything that we heard in that interview, especially there at the end, it's that this is a very personal genre of music for all three of us. And I think a music that played a crucial role in our lives during a very formative time For, for Amanda and I both, it was in our, early twenties and late teenage years in college. And for you, it was in those kind of middle school years and the years that would follow. So let's talk about this of our lists. We only had one truly crossover uh, one, one true crossover album on all three of our lists. Mm-hmm. So the only, the only overlapping album that we all had was Deja Intendu by brand new.
1: Yeah. And if I didn't stick to my own rules, you know, if I went outside of 94 to 2003, I would have picked a different brand new album. But, you know, I, I think it makes sense that this is kind of the one that all three of us think is like a kind of a, a touchstone for, for Emo, especially that third wave.
0: But I, I'm with you. I think I think and Tindu is probably the better pick for that golden era because the reality is there's not... There's not a ton of great emo albums, two thousand four, two thousand five, two thousand six. That really, by the time you get to the end of two thousand three, that golden era has really started to come to its conclusion.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, in two thousand three alone, Mark Commission, Bring Scar by Dashboard, or by Dashboard, Dejan Tindu, um, and Reverie by Saves the Day, War All the Time by Thursday. I mean, there, there are still some like big yeah. things come out in two thousand three. Th-
0: show by the Get Up Kids. Yeah. There you go.
1: You know, it's, 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 it is kind of just like a, you know, this is kind of apex mountain uh, to mm-hmm. steal verbiage from like another podcast.
0: So an album that, that is on at least two lists, I think is, you know, it's easy to say, Hey, that's, you know, we can, we can safely say that's it. That's one of the best. Yeah. yeah. And if you're looking at, if you're looking at it that way across our three lists, our common, our common albums were Sunday day real estate's diary. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Promise Rings. Nothing uh, Feels Good. Nothing Feels Good.
5: American, American football.
0: football. Clarity. Something to write home about.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Tell All Your Friends by Taking Back Sunday.
0: Tell All Your Friends by Taking Back Sunday. Places um, You've Come
1: to Fear the Most. Places You've Dashboard. Come to Fear the
0: Most by Dashboard. Uh, Dejan Tendu, or Brand New. That That's something I, I can stand by all of those albums and, and say if that's what we're looking at as golden age yeah. of emo... I'm. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to say, oh, you know, let's find albums better than these.
1: Yeah, I think it's. I think it's missing Cap'n Jazz, um, even though you all get, the people because, who's.
0: Yeah, because you get both American Football and Promise Ring. I. I don't yeah. think you're missing it.
1: Yeah, that that's that's the only reason why I don't feel so bad about it. But I do think that that Cap and Jazz album from '95 is like.
0: Oh, it's a great album. for A, sure. a
1: major like a major record for emo. And the only other thing that's missing uh, would be full collapse by Thursday.
0: That being said, man, we've talked, uh, we've talked a long time. This is going to be a long episode, but listener, if you've stayed with us for this long, we are so grateful that you have. Um, We are grateful that you have stuck it out with us to this point, as we have shared uh, so much love around uh, this music that we're fans of. And I want to go ahead and let you know now, if you've listened to this point, you have heard a bunch of music. And since this is a genre episode rather than an episode about an album, I want to give you as our listener kind of the playlist from this episode. Uh, Breathing Patterns by the band My Hotel Year, an underground band that came out of the Orlando area. Uh, Hands Down by Dashboard Confessional, Sick Transit Gloria by Brand New. Don't Slow Down by Copeland, Red and Blue Jeans by The Promise Ring, The Calendar Hung Itself by Bright Eyes, For Me This Is Heaven by Jimmy Eat World, I'm Ready I Am by The Format, Constantine by Something Corporate, In Circles by Sunny Day Real Estate, Never Meant by American Football, Understanding in a Car Crash by Thursday, Timberwolves at New Jersey by Taking Back Sunday, I'm a Loner Dottie, a Rebel, by The Get Up Kids, On Your Porch, by The Format, In Micaiah, we're going to leave our guests this week with our favorite song off the Captain Jazz album.
1: Oh Messy Life.
0: Listeners, we appreciate you joining us for this. We will be back in two weeks with our next bonus episode looking at the best albums celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. That's right, the best albums of 1971 with our guests Elizabeth Nelson and Tim Bracey. We'll see you in two weeks.